You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are connected um, through authentic partnership with this beautiful thing called the church. How many of you are thankful for the church? Uh, she is the only thing that Jesus is building. The only thing that Jesus is coming back for. She is precious and we are a part of that. And she is not perfect like any family. Oh, thanks, sir. Like any family, um, we have our ups and downs. We have our, um, man, human error. Uh, unfortunately, um, things that we put our hands on can very easily uh, turn to mush, but uh, Jesus is building his church. That's what I want to talk to you about today. But before that, I want to just talk brief history. 1922, that was a whole different era. Uh, human history is called the Roaring Twenties. I mean, if you've ever heard of heard of the Roaring Twenties. Um, Warren G. Harding was the president. The Lincoln Memorial was, was dedicated in 1922. The Hollywood Bowl opened up for... Uh, open air concerts, construction of the Yankee Stadium began. Uh, the California Grizzly is hunted into extinction. Um, the first gospel song, The Train is Bound for Glory, is released. Uh, King George was still on the throne of England. Prohibition was still live and in effect. Um, and in 1922, a group of faithful witnesses who had been leading an urban mission for over a decade, formed a congregation known as Belvedere Church of the Brethren in Boyle Heights, California. In the dash between 1922 and 1946, there were um, two world wars that absolutely ravaged uh, the globe. There were the, the Great Depression that, that hit our nation and, and others as well. Then we skip to 1946. 1946, Harry Truman was president. Uh, Tide laundry detergent was uh, first introduced. The first baby boomer was born in 1946. The first assembly of the United Nations met in London. Dolly Parton, Linda Rodstadt, Barry Manilow, Eric Estrada, and Donald Trump were born in 1946. My favorite was Eric Estrada from Chips. <laughs> Uh, baseball's opening day in Boston featured the Braves and the Brooklyn Dodgers. Jackie Robinson debuted as second baseman for the Montreal Royals. Um, desegregation was ordered by President Truman for all U.S. forces. The Philippines became a sovereign country. The first mobile car-to-car -car telephone conversation took place. That is crazy. In 1946. Um... Nazi war criminals were tried, convicted, and sentenced in 1946. And the Belvedere Church of the Brethren, formerly, uh, formerly in Boyle Heights, became Bella Vista Church of the Brethren as they moved into a new building that they erected in a new ethnic transitional suburb called East L.A., also known as Bella Vista. In the dash between 1946 uh, and 2010, there were... Um, and each generation of Los Angeles had experienced riots. There was the Zoot Suit riots, the Watts riots, the Rodney King riots. The Cold War started and ended. Two Middle East wars had begun and become ceasefires eventually. The U.S. was attacked for the first time um, by terrorists on its own soil. 
and two great recessions have buckled the U.S. economy twice. And then 2010, um, Pastor Gilbert Romero, my father, chose to retire from pastoral ministry and the church that Vanessa and I were planting along with our children, the Martell family, and, and some here with us today, uh, merged with the few congregants who chose to stay and Restoration Los Angeles was formed. Um, the one thing that has stood the test of time throughout the hundred years of history of this church is that Jesus has been faithful to his church. Jesus has been faithful to his church. Church buildings have come and gone. Um, there was this, um, oh, I won't give it away, but you'll see some pictures of this old brick building in Boyle Heights. And then you'll see the framework of this building being erected. And uh, my great grandfather used to tell me stories about how they would um, get these big beams. Well, he was, he was a, an engineer, a train engineer. And anytime he saw lumber, he would stop the train just to get wood because it was right after the war and it was really hard to come by. And so, um, but church buildings come and go, come and go. Pastors come and go. Um, even patriarchs of churches like my grandparents, uh, Ralph and Lucille who were in this place and, and, uh, People like Grandma Butch, who you wouldn't know, but she is also known as Bubblegum Grandma. She had a, a purse of, of Hubba Bubba Bubblegum that she passed out to every kid. Uh, Dr. Evelyn, who I, who I talked about talked about earlier, and, and Louise Lopez. And I mean, just so many more. They, they, these faithful saints have come, deposited wonderful deposits, but also we see those, those times pass. And I believe there'll be a time when, when this generation, if the Lord tarries, will pass. But in the end, it'll still be Jesus. Because Jesus is faithful to his church. How many of you believe that? We had to make a decision back in 2010 that would shape where we would go for years to come. Um, Jesus was going to have to be the central theme and focus of who we were going to be as a people. And I know that might sound crazy to think that how does a church have to come to the decision that Jesus is going to be the central theme and focus of the church? Isn't he always supposed to be? And, and I would argue like, of course, but is it, if we put that question to the individual or the individuals who make up a church, then that question is pretty challenging because we can look at the church as an institution. We can look at the church as, as, as a building. And, and we can think like, yes, you know, the church must decide that Jesus is going to be the central theme and focus, but something we also had to determine and build into the theology of our ecclesiology was that this building is not a church and that we are the church. And if Jesus is going to be the central theme and focus of who we are, then Jesus also has to be the central theme and focus of who I am. This is what laying foundations of the church really looks like. This is what discipleship is. This is us getting down into the, the trenches of the lives of people who God has called us to. Yes, God calls us to places, but more than places, God calls us to people. And when he called us to a people, the people like East LA, it, 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 we, we were told um, coming back to plant into this place that East LA is the places where church plants come to die. 
And so when you go through all the church planting courses and when you go through all the demographic studies and you think about finances and resources and all that kind of things, East LA is not the place to plant a church. But Jesus had called us to a people. And when Jesus calls you to a people, you have to be faithful what Jesus has called you to. And knowing that God has called us here, we knew that he had to be the foundation of all that we were going to be doing. Placing Jesus in his rightful place is the only way to ensure that we were going to stand on a firm foundation. The average church plant in America um, dies within three years. And that's a sad thing, too, if you think about it. Um, and, and there's all kinds of, you know, contribution or, or contributing factors to that. Um, but when Jesus is building his church, how many of you know that things are everlasting? And how many of you know that things are eternal? We're not, we're not just building, uh, I know, uh, for, uh, for the generations. We are building eternally. And knowing that Jesus is a central theme and focus, he is the true rock. He is the true foundation, a firm foundation for the church. Um, when you look up church in the dictionary, it's, it's, it reads like this. The noun is a building used for public Christian worship, a place of worship, a house of worship, a, um, a more particularly a Christian organization, typically one with, with its own clergy, building uh, distinctive doctrines. This is the noun of the church. How many of you know the church is so much more than that? How many of you know that you're so much more than that? Um, then you get into the understanding of how denominations and, and, and ecclesial communities are formed, the, the hierarchy of clergy of a Christian organization. You, we see the Roman Catholic Church, the High Church, the Church of England. Um, then you see all, all of the Protestants or the protesters who wanted to break away from um, all of that hierarchical church and, and to be free to worship Jesus. And then, you know, denominations are, are formed and shaped and uh, all, all that we, we see across the globe when it comes to denominational church and all the flavors of Christianity that you can find. Um, the, the English word for church does not come from the word ecclesia or, or even the Spanish word that we use, iglesia. The English word for church, uh, it, it comes from a word, kuriakon, um, which means dedicated to the Lord. So when you think of church, uh, the word church, it's dedicated to the Lord. And so this word was commonly used um, to refer to a, a holy place or a temple, right? So this place was dedicated to the Lord. Um, in, in Matthew 16, we actually see this word. And this is where we're going to rest for a little bit today. And I'm, I'm supposed to be kicking off a series today on Jesus because we are in our God series, God the Father and God the Son. Um but I wanted to just kind of tie in with what the Lord has done in this place, um, this, this holy place, and who he has been and who he will continue to be until he comes and takes us home. Amen? So here we are, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? Or in common terms, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Clearly, the culture was confused about who Jesus was. The religious 
culture of the day was confused about who Jesus was because they had no revelation. There was no revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. There was no revelation that Jesus is who we are about to be, who is what is about to be revealed to us um, shortly. Verse 15 Jesus is okay, and that's good. That that's all. That's who they think I am. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? And and when you begin this journey with Jesus, maybe you came in with some religious baggage, or maybe you you've come come in with some some cultural upbringing. Many of us grew up in in in, in with the Catholic upbringing, or maybe a different kind of Christian upbringing. But there comes a place in time in your walk with Jesus, as you are connected with this beautiful thing called the church, that you have to have a revelation of who Jesus is. Where you need to be able to articulate with your own words from your heart and from your gut to be able to say, this is who Jesus is. So Jesus is asking his disciples, all right, they all say I'm this, but who do you say that I am? And I believe that's a question for the church today still. 12 years in, 100 years in, we still have to hold on to this revelation of who Jesus is, not just to us, but to me and to you. Simon Peter answered, and he was that, he was that kid in the class who always like, ooh, 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 I got it. I got this one. But this one was different because this one came from a heavenly place. And Simon Peter said this, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that word Messiah, the same word for Christ, Messiah being the Hebrew word, Christ being the Greek word. You are the anointed one. You are the one who has been promised. You are the one that has been prophesied over the ages that you would come and be the deliverer of God's people. This is who you are. In verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And, and just recognize the name. This is, this is who he was, Simon, son of Jonah. And Simon, I've said this in the past. You've, please forgive me if you hear any of this is repetitive. But we're laying foundations this morning. Is that all right? That word Simon means read. The, the best way we, I can visualize that to you is, is, a, is a, a bamboo shoot. Have you seen a bamboo shoot? When, when, when the wind blows, a bamboo goes like this. Right? It's, it's unstable. It's, it's not really firmly planted. And when the wind blows or someone comes and moves it or knocks it, you, know, you, can, you, know, you can go into a bamboo field and essentially like knock it down you know, with your arms. I mean, it's, it's not firmly planted. This was Simon's name, right? Unstable one. Can you imagine having the Hebrew names meant something? We've learned that in, in our series last year. I mean, last week, uh, uh, last month um, of, of Yahweh. Names mean something. Simon's name. Can you imagine his mom calling him? Hey, unstable one. <laughs> I saw he, that's how the, the, the biblical times, they named their kids off of like, Hey, you who doesn't like to get up, you know, you who forget to take out the trash. <laughs> Vanessa's, Vanessa, our son, Jordan, I don't want to embarrass you, my boy, but it's our son, Jordan has always just flowed to his own, like, deal. you right. Like our, our, our family's like, just like we're, we're spazzes, you know, like it's the Romero side, but we're always, you know, like, just like, ah, and Jordan's just real tranquilo, right? He just, 
He just flows. And Vanessa's just like, I should have named him something else because he just flows like the River Jordan. You know, he's just flow like that. And we're all just like, you know, spazzed out. But names mean something. Messiah. It's a game changer. Messiah is a game changer. That name was, was only allocated to, to the one who would come. I mean, honestly, in, in his day, this is heresy. For him to call Jesus a, a, a rabbi who, who, who was really not affirmed by the, by the religious establishment is being called the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, the one who is unstable, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't learn this from books. You didn't learn this wasn't passed down to you by someone here on earth. But from my father in heaven, this is revelation. Can you say revelation? This is revealed to you by God. Verse 18, and I tell you now that you are and this is transformation here, friends. You are Peter. Instantly gets a new, a new name. How many of you love that about being adopted into the family of Christ? You get a new name. You get a new identity. Maybe you were formerly the one who was unstable in their ways, but now you get to be called Peter, or, or the word is Petros, meaning the rock. Going from, from being unstable to being a firm place, firm in his ways, Petros, Peter. And on this rock, listen, friends, Jesus says this, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Listen, friends, this is the first time we read the word church in the New Testament. And that word church, that, that, that word that we see there is, listen, friends, This beautiful thing that Jesus came to establish on the earth. And here we are, and we get to be a part of this thing. And my question has always been throughout this 12 years that I've been leading is, is Jesus leading his church or building his church? Because I'm telling you, we, there's so many cultural pressures, even in the religious cultural pressures to, to put our hands on things and to, and to do things that are popular and to do things that, that, that can make, create rapid growth and, and to be one of those Chia Pet churches. And if you, if you don't know what a Chia Pet, I'm just dating myself. A Chia Pet was like this little, little animal. And then you would put this miracle grow stuff on it. And then like overnight, it would, it would pop up like a plant would be like, it'd have this like, uh, I don't know, herbal afro on it. Like it was like, it was like the funny thing it was like and it had this chia, 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 chia. I don't know if you remember it, 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 it was so th this this is but listen friends there, there there's there's things like that that the church can grab a hold of and use to grow the church and we can see wide growth but friends the depth is shallow and if we're gonna build on the foundations of Jesus Jesus being the chief cornerstone, Jesus being the only foundation. Listen, friends, Jesus has to be the one building the church. It's his job to build the church. It's our job to make disciples. My friend Tyron Daniel says, what's amazing is that the church 
wants to build a church and we want Jesus to disciple the nations. He has commissioned us to do that very thing. Listen to this. I tell you that you are Peter on, um, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. And listen to this, friends, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome Christ's church. So what about the churches that get taken out? Now, listen, friends, we, there's all kinds of contributing factors to why some churches close their doors. And we are not called to be judges and juries of, of any of that. We are called to be faithful witness to what God has called us to. And I think it's, we should mourn when we see churches close their doors. We should mourn when we see uh, a church's collapse or another leader fall and all the stuff that we are seeing happen around the world. But listen, the church that Jesus is building will not fall and will not crumble. And we have to determine in our hearts that this is the church that we want to be a part of. We have to determine in our hearts that we are going to be the ones who are going to grow deep roots into the foundations of the church that he is building. Not, not this, this fleeting church, not this transitional church, not this, not this, the, 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 they tell me the greatest, uh, the largest church in the world is the traveling church. Because there's a huge portion of the church that doesn't want to lay down roots. And I'm telling you, like a family, we have to bear, bear down, hunker down and grow deep roots because I'm telling you, this is the only way that we are going to see generational changes in places like East L.A. I was, I was, I was speaking to, um, a couple of friends of mine who lead churches in inner cities and we're just talking about like the dynamics of inner city ministry. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to build in places like Chicago. It's hard to build in places like Los Angeles, East Los Angeles, because these communities are so transitional. Like the people that I grew up with in this community aren't here any longer except for Mr. Lopez and Richard. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Lopez has probably seen this place transform like you wouldn't believe. I mean, my family has only been here since the 80s, but the people I grew up, why? Because what happens is, I mean, you, when you start making a better life from yourself, you want to get out of a place like East L.A. And it's not a knock on the place. that We, we, we have been called to this place. We've been called to, to, to minister to the people that God has called here. This is, this is what Belvedere Church of the Brethren started doing back in before 1922 when they were a, a, an urban ministry in downtown L.A. And so, and, and then when 1946, when it was placed here, East L.A. was the growing new hip suburb of downtown LA where the, where the Greeks were and the Hispanics were and, 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 uh, Filipino communities. And man, I mean, if, if you go and see all of the ethnic cemeteries that are in East LA, the people groups, I mean, it's just rich in history. I mean, this is just, I mean, just a, a, a plethora of all these cultures colliding, but even in that transition, the church has to remain faithful because if Jesus is building his church, then Jesus wants there to be a vital, thriving church in a place like East L.A. We've seen churches come and grow. We see churches outgrow East L.A. And I, I, I'm telling you, friends, if it's God's heart to plant churches in every town, city, and village, then the church in East L.A. needs to build firm foundations. And I'm not saying, hey, you need to sign a contract and you guys got to stay here for life, right? Right? 
blood in, blood out. This is East Los, so. But what I am saying is there's going to be an established church here because this is what Jesus has said. And this is what Jesus has established. Far after Jody's gone, for after some of you might be gone, there will be a thriving church that will minister to the people who are in this community because they need Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus says that I will build my church. There, 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 there's some. There's been obviously some historic interpretations of this verse. Um, sec, uh, Peter, rock, the name Peter is a play on the Greek word for rock, Petra. Um, there are four leading interpretations of, of this of this play on words. A, uh, Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, is the rock that Jesus will build his church on. Um, B, that Jesus himself is the rock. And that, uh, as Peter later testifies, um, see Peter as, as the representative of the apostles is a foundation in the church. As we read in Ephesians chapter two twenty. now, therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then D, Peter represents by his confession, the type of person which the true church will be built. It could be a mixture of both, but Peter was not ordained the first Pope of the church and Peter was not the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the only foundation. Foundations are important. How many of you believe that? And the foundation that we have to have as a people of God is a revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The revelation that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and Jesus Christ is who God sent to the, to the earth. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. The church needs revelation like never before that we know who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. And this Messiah, Judaism, is the king who will be sent by God to save the Jews or the king who saves. But listen, friends, it's Savior and Lord. I believe that the church today is very comfortable with Jesus the Savior. Jesus is the Savior is is, is, is the, the, the... Solitary understanding of salvation is, is, is so appealing. Why? Because Jesus does all the work. It's a free gift for you. Jesus died on the cross. He paid all the price. And the Bible says in Romans that all you have to do is accept and believe and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. It's a free gift that comes through repentance of sin. How many of you are thankful for that free gift? How many of you have received that free gift? The beautiful thing about that gift is it was free. We had to do nothing. And I believe so many people approach their salvation like they did everything. I gave up this and I gave up that. You did nothing. You received a few. There's nothing that you gave up that, that, that holds any weight to what Jesus has given for us. But the understanding that Jesus is Lord, that's a whole different deal. We can celebrate our salvation, and we should. We sang about that today. I'm free. 
I'm free forever. Amen. I am free. How many of you are free? But his lordship is something else. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the what? He is the head of the body. He is the head of this church. I mean, sometimes even our language we use is wrong. I mean, you, you hear a pastor say, my church. This isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. He's, uh, he's the head of the body of the church. Listen, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things, so that in all things that he may have preeminence. That who will have preeminence? This sign behind me, even though some of the bulbs are out, is a prophetic statement. Jesus will be the only name in lights when it comes to this church. And never see a pastor's name anywhere. And I'm not saying we're heroes because there's just there's just nothing. This is not anyone's ministry. This is Jesus's church. This is what we're about. This is His church. He's ahead of the body in all things that he may have preeminence for it pleased God. Can you say it pleased the father? It pleased the father that in him, all the fullness should dwell in Jesus, all the fullness, everything we preached about last month about God, the father, everything about God, the father was deposited into Jesus, the son, so that he can reflect the glory of God to us. Can you imagine that? The fullness of God, the fullness of Yahweh, the fullness of our Abba Father was deposited into Jesus the Son so that he can reflect to us the nature of our Father. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven have been made uh, peace through the blood of his cross. And you, listen, church, you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, he has reconciled us who were once hostile towards God who were once hostile towards his good news, who were once hostile towards the person of Jesus. He has reconciled us to him. Sorry, I'm getting excited. I lose my place every time I do that. In the body of his flesh through death to present, to present you, listen, friends, to present you, his church, as holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. This is what Jesus has done for his church, for you, for me, for us. If indeed you continue in the faith, can you say continue? If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded 
and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which we preach to every creature under the heaven for which I, Paul, became a minister. You see, friends, we, the church doesn't last a hundred years without saints enduring. I thank God for the faithful saints of Bella Vista that held on. I mean, when my father decided to retire, there was only three of them who really wanted to stay with us. <laughs> there was just a group of people who, who, who loved my dad. But the saints who held on so that we can be here today. The saints that made the move from Boyle Heights to East L.A. so that this congregation could carry on with the mission of Jesus Christ. The saints 2,000 years ago who were persecuted and crucified and boiled and killed and murdered for the sake of the gospel. They held on so that we can be here 2,000 plus years later to represent this same Messiah that they were willing to die for. This is the church that Jesus is coming back for. This is a church that has testimonies of longevity. This is a church that's going to be able to say in the end, we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And what's the word of our testimony? Everything that Jesus has done. The church that recognizes, the church that Jesus is building recognizes Jesus's rule and reign as king. And again, I need to break the concept in our heads that we have to recognize Jesus as king. No, no, no. The church that Jesus is building recognizes that Jesus rules and reigns as king. That means over your life and over mine. But does he? Is he king? Does he rule and does he reign? Does he have say over every aspect of your life like he has over every aspect of this church? If Jesus wants to change the worship, he can change the worship because he is king. If Jesus wants to change the pastoral leadership in the life of this church, he can because he is king. If Jesus wants to change the, the, whatever, I mean, churches have split over funny things, carpet color and curtain colors. We, we don't argue over that kind of stuff here. We have people who make those decisions and then we just love it, whatever. Um, Steve don't love all of it. <laughs> <laughs> But Jesus has say in all of it. But does he have say in all of it? Because that's a church that he's building. Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Bless, and Jesus, uh, Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. If Jesus is only savior, listen, friends then it becomes all about us. If Jesus is only savior, then it becomes all about us. I was talking with the hunters about this, uh, about some children's curriculum that's really not doing good for churches today, but it's about moral therapeutic deityism. I mean, it's just, it's just about living a moral life and being good people and, and, and just having this personal God who blesses me, who does the things that I need. And, and it's reflected in our prayer life. Lord, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. When Jesus is only Savior, it's all about us. When Jesus is Lord, and we have a revelation that he is Messiah, 
and it's all about him. He's the king. What he says goes. What is the church's response to this today? I mean, we see the, we see the church climate. But let me make this even a little more personal. What is our response to this today? Because we don't, we don't get here 100 years later by an accident. Some people held on, right? Some people have held on. In this last 12 years, there's been people who have held on. Some people in the life of this church have been to hell and back with this church. Personal lives, we've lost. We've lost so many beautiful people in this church. Mothers and fathers and aunts, uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters. I mean, they, they just think that people have held on. Relational difficulties. I mean, just things that, but people have held on. You don't get here by accident. When Jesus is king and his lordship is established, I'm telling you, friends, his church is on a firm foundations. How do we get there? Three things. Number one, seek revelation. If you don't have revelation that Jesus Christ is who God says he was, our father says he was, and who he says he was, and who scripture tells he was, and who the Holy Spirit testifies of who he is, and who the, the historic church has testified about it, then you need to seek revelation. Seek revelation. This has to be something that each of us deeply not only understands, but knows in the pit of our soul that Jesus is king. He is savior. And he's the son of the living God. This is the foundation of our church. First, we need to seek um, revelation. Second, we must submit ourselves. So we're going to use S's today. Submit ourselves. So we seek revelation of who he is. Second, we must submit ourselves, what? To the rule and um, to his rule and to his reign, which means to his will and to his ways. This is how we, we lay foundations. We submit ourselves. So we seek revelation. We submit ourselves to that revelation. And then three is stand. The church needs to stand up again. The church, the church is not some, 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 some worn down institution, you know, just kind of limping along, just, just holding it on. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen, I mean, it's, 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 it's not a pretty sight. I mean, have you ever seen like one of those boxers who just tries to box too long and he's in the ring and you're like, what is he doing? Like he shouldn't be in there. Like, I mean, Foreman was fighting late. I mean, Holyfield was fighting late. I mean, some of these dudes just were fighting way too late. I mean, Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. were in the boxing ring, and these dudes are like, Ugh. <laughs> like I mean, obviously, I could do no better. Both of those guys would. But, I mean, just, just glimpses of, of their former glory, right? I mean, Tyson still looks like a beast, so I don't know. Um, but you're like, what are they doing? It's not the, why, why? oh, don't do that. And, and sometimes there's a view of the church like this. What is she doing? Oh, God, Boracita, look at her. She just, that's not Jesus's church. The church needs to stand and the revelation of who he is. We, we are the bride of Christ. I want, to, I want you to think of that image of a bride. She's beautiful. And yes, she is dolled up and she's, she's pure and she's, she has this beautiful gown on. 
but she's also the army of God. I don't know who said it first. Maybe it was Terry Kruger. He likes to picture the bride of Christ with this beautiful gown, but she's got combat boots on underneath, underneath her dress. I kind of like that too. But she's strong. And Jesus told Peter after this revelation, the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church. And this is what this means to you, church, because you are the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Against you. Life's going to throw you all kinds of uppercuts. Life's going to hit you sideways. You're going to make mistakes. You're going you're to put yourself on some tracks that Jesus is going to have to yank you off of. But you're going to have to continue to remind yourself that he is Lord. And you're going to have to stop falling into those old patterns that he is not Lord and start living more on the pattern that he is Lord because it's in that place that we stand, friends. It's in that place that we fight from. It's in that place because we're standing on a firm foundation that he is king. There's no other place for us to stand if we're going to last. It's the foundation of the revelation that he is Messiah, both Savior and Lord. If you believe that, you can say amen. Revelation chapter 2, you'll, you'll, you'll read, um, I, man, I think I, I, I read, no, no, I read Revelation 12 earlier. Revelation chapter 2, we see the lampstands of the churches in the age to come. And we see Jesus judging the churches. And as Jesus is judging the churches, he, there's a, this prophetic understanding that each church is carrying a lampstand. And those lampstands, I believe, are are representations of the life of the church. And Jesus has entrusted these cities in Revelation chapter 2 with this lampstand. So the church in Ephesus carried a lampstand. And the the, the church uh, in in, in, uh, Samura carried a lampstand. And we see all the different churches. They have a lampstand. and, and, And Jesus has the authority to remove that lampstand. And the only time we see those lampstands removed is when this, the sovereignty of Jesus is rejected. And we see one of those, one of those judgments is you, you've done all these, you've remained faithful, you've done all these wonderful things, but you've lost your first love. Me. Come back to your first love. But friends, these lampstands, I really believe that East Los Angeles has been given a lampstand. But we're not the lampstand. We are part of this thing that, but this lampstand, at least as far as our history is concerned, has been shining for a hundred years. And it's, it's something that Jesus has given this region a lampstand. And I'm telling you, friends, we have a responsibility to our king to guard this lampstand. And the enemy is going to come and blow it out, but I'm going to let it shine. And what that means is Jesus remains the central theme and focus of the church. He remains the foundation of who we are. He remains the only name in lights. He remains Savior and Lord. That's the gift that we give to the next generation. That's how this church continues on for the next hundred years should Jesus tarry. If you believe that, won't you stand with me this morning? Uh, I'm going to keep you about seven minutes longer today because we got a slideshow to show you. 
I just want to bless you guys. There's something beautiful about the church family, and I, I kind of think of it like Hispanic family. It doesn't matter when you join the family, your family, even if you just got here today, like, right, you're going to get an extra bowl of pozole. You're going to get five more tortillas. It doesn't matter because your family, you're here. Like, that's it. You got to eat. So um, I want to bless you. And I want to thank you, whether you've been here two days or you've been here 12 years or you've poured foundations since the 80s, whether you've been in this community since the 50s. We, I just want to bless you all. And thank you for everything that you have contributed to this beautiful gumbo that is Restoration LA today. Uh, I know that's not a, not a Mexican term. We'll, 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 more be like a mocajete, right? Like where you got everything, the, the chorizo and the asada and the shrimp, whatever. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're building in this place. Lord, thank you for the lives. Thank you for the salvations. Lord, thank you for the the rehabilitation that has happened in this place. Thank you for the baptisms. Thank you for the restoration for the, of families. Lord, thank you for the unions of marriage that have taken place in this place. Lord, thank you, God, for faithful servants who have paved the way, who have said yes to you and lived sacrificial lives on behalf of others. Thank you for all the blood, sweat, and tears that have been sowed. Thank you, God, for those who have committed to see this local church, see her into a beautiful future established by you. Thank you for the leaders. Lord, we thank you for those who have come, those who have gone. We bless them all, God. We bless them all because this is your church and she's beautiful. And I pray that we will handle her accordingly. We'll never put our hands on your beautiful bride. She's yours. As far as we're concerned, she'll continue to be yours for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. All right. Why don't you guys grab some seats? Here's some few memories we want to share with you guys.